Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about cotton production. And you know what? Even if you're not a cotton producer, there are still a lot of the things we'll discuss today. Everything from certain herbicides to fertility. A lot of, lot of similarities between cotton and many other crops. And we will get to the Ag PhD mailbag a little bit later in the show as well. If you've got a question for us, you can certainly email us, radio at agphd.com. Or you can give us a call here. Our phone lines will be open throughout the show today. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. All right, so we'll, we'll get to cotton production in just a little bit. Before we talk about that, though, uh, Darren, I, I want to go to the Ag PhD mailbag here in just a minute so we can start getting to some of those questions. But I, I, I think... Right now, there's just, it feels to me like a lot of uncertainty with a lot of the farmers that I'm talking to. And a lot of that, unfortunately, has to do with fertilizer prices. So we talk so much on the show about fertility, and we will hear in a little bit on cotton as well. But I just cannot stress this to you enough. If you don't know how to read a soil test, please join us for our Ag PhD Soils Clinic that we have coming up in January. It's a two-day session, and we're going to go through start to finish and how you read a soil test, how you can make your own fertility recommendations on your farm. You absolutely can change things. And I just want to give you an example from an email that I got this morning. Okay, so this goes back to, I'm going to say, a couple of weeks ago or maybe a week ago, and an agronomist called me, and he said, Hey, Brian, what do you think about this? I got a farmer who had some corn go down. And I said, Well, here's what I want to see. I want to see the soil test. And he goes, well, we're seeing some differences in varieties. And I go, look, it's not the variety. I'm going to promise you that right off the bat. It could be rootworm. It could be he planted too high a population. But most likely, it's poor fertility. So I I get an email back from him this morning. And and here's what it said. 36,000 plants per acre. 1% base saturation K was all. And... I'm looking at this going, oh no, that there's our problem. He said the rootworm issue wasn't bad. He did enough root digs and found, you know, and granted, it's really late now, but it didn't appear that there was a lot of rootworm feeding, a little bit, but not a lot. So anyway, the main problem is he's got 25% the amount of K in the soil that should be in the soil. Well, of course you're going to have problems, especially in a drought year and especially at that planting population. So my recommendation is 36,000 is way too much for that fertility. 26,000 would be much more appropriate, if not even 20,000. And I'm dead serious. There just is not enough K there to support those plants. So this is one of the big things that we talk about because everybody's on to, oh, fertilizer price is high and I have to cut. Look, when you've got 1% base saturation K, putting potassium on is going to give you a decent return on investment, most likely in most any crop, even at today's commodity prices and today's fertilizer prices. So, you, you look at it and you go, oh, I, I don't know if I can afford this. Well, that's why we want you to know how to read the soil test because there were some other things. And so I had just brought this up to this agronomist a couple of weeks ago and I said, all right, potassium is by far and away number one in terms of stock quality. But then 
two other factors are manganese and copper. Well, I look at the soil test here that he sent me today. The manganese levels are good. The copper levels are good. So it wasn't copper. It wasn't manganese. And in fact, his boron levels are pretty good. So there are a bunch of things where you say, you know what? I could save some money. Here's one other thing. It's rare when we see soil tests that have a lot of sulfur uh, and don't have a major drainage issue, but I can't see that this has a major drainage issue, but I, I do know the sulfur levels are really, really good. So like going into this year, rather than spending money on sulfur and some of these micronutrients that all actually look pretty good, I would say spend your money on the potassium. And that's going to give you this good return on investment, plus the fact that then your corn is going to be able to stand better. But the other thing that a lot of people don't want to hear is, look, you just, for now, have to cut that planting population. It's just too much. And so these are the types of things that we go through at our soils clinics. And again, I just really encourage you, please attend that. Go to agphd.com to learn more. It's free. We just do this because we're trying to help you. We care about you. We want you to be successful on your farm, make money, have good stands, not have to harvest your corn at one mile an hour, one direction, like we've had to in the past. That's where some of this learning has come from over the years. We've made enough mistakes on our own. We figured out, okay, what does it take to correct the mistakes? so we don't have it happening moving forward. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Okay, first one's a comment here. came in from Bernie who said, I was just watching you guys talking about yellow nut sedge and didn't know if you'd heard this saying before, but I'll throw it out there. Sedges have edges, reeds are round, grasses have nodes wherever they're found. Hey, thanks, Bernie. We appreciate that. I hadn't heard that before. Okay, uh, another one here comes uh, in. He said, you, you guys were talking about fertilizer prices being high. You should have more segments talking about the value of manure and how to use it in the best way. Hey, thanks. We appreciate that comment. We do talk about manure quite a bit. We could certainly talk about it more. Uh, obviously, the nutrient content varies depending on what type of manure and so forth. But Yeah, and we can keep this relatively simple, too. The basic concept is this. One, you got to test your manure so you know what you're actually putting out there and then adjust it based on what the soil test looks like. For example, even on our farm this fall, we cut the manure rate back because we had so much carryover nitrogen in our corn on corn acres. I said, no, we don't. We can spread it out over more acres. We'll, we'll get more benefit by spreading it out over more acres. And then the other big factor that we talk about all the time with manure is salt. So yes, there's a lot of positives you get or organic material that's in there you, that hopefully eventually can be organic matter. You get lots of different nutrients. You get beneficial soil microbes. That's all positive stuff. But the number one negative thing with manure, salt. And you just don't want to push it on salt, especially if you're in a dry area or in a dry year. All right. Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that. Uh, we get so many questions that come in radio at agphd.com that we take a little bit of time in every show to try and get through them. So if you have a question, send it in today. We will get to it, uh, if not today, in the very, very near future. We're going to be talking about cotton production on today's program. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. 
Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. You heard me right. We're talking about cotton production on today's Ag PhD radio show, and our phone lines will be open to take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us, radio at agphd.com as well. Real happy to head down to Texas and talk to our friend Reed Abbott with AgroLiquid. Reed, thanks for joining us. Yes, sir. How are you all doing today? Well, pretty good. And, you know, we're talking cotton production today. It's not something that we're raising a whole lot of on our farm, maybe just a little block at our field day or something like that. But when we, we look at cotton production, fertility is certainly key. What can you tell us about cotton production? Where does it start? Does it start with the planter? Uh, you bet. I mean, there there is certainly options with the planter. And uh, just like any other crop, you know, getting it off to a good start uh is is very very important uh you know to maximize the heat units that you get throughout the season and all that so um for sure want to get some fertility in the ground uh either pre-plant or during that planting operation and uh, get that crop going and, and off to a good start now one thing that i've learned about growing cotton way up north here is it doesn't have this tremendous amount of vigor it kind of needs great growing conditions to get started is that pretty accurate even in texas well, uh, I mean, we're we're a little bit better just because we have the heat units. But yeah, when we're planting, I mean, when that soil temperature is in that 60, 65 degree range, uh, it's going to struggle. And cotton really does. I mean, it it uh, it comes up looking for a reason to die early on. But then it's one of those plants that once it kind of gets established, then it's hard to kill. So, uh, you know, yeah, very vulnerable early on and, and very important that you kind of uh, keep everything, you know, whether that's insect pests or or fertility issues at bay until that crop gets up and established. All right. When I look at, at nutrient needs, uh, cotton certainly is, is not going to shy away from needing some NP and K. So where, where do you start with cotton? What kind of products have worked really well and, and what kind of timings, when do you really need the fertility to all be available in order to get top yields? Yeah, I mean, it, like you said, I mean, uh, NP and K, you're certainly not going to use uh, as much as you probably would on a corn crop to get maximum uh, yield there. 
you know, as y'all were talking earlier in the show, I mean, everybody's talking about fertilizer prices. So I could see some guys even switching over to cotton, uh, you know, with the price favorability uh, in that commodity. We're over a dollar right now on, on the, the cotton futures and stuff. So, you know, guys might be looking to switch to that. But absolutely, it does need an NPNK. Um, typically, what we have guys do, uh, or, or you'll see a lot of guys uh, targeting it later on in the season after that reproductive growth starts. So, um, you know, bloom and, and post-bloom, when you uh, get into filling those cotton bowls up, uh, you know, you've got a, a huge thing, some nitrogen and potassium there that, you know, where that needs, uh, needs to be met. So, uh, guys will, guys will target those, those types of applications, whether they can fertigate through their irrigation or put on foliar applications, stuff like that. But, uh, you see a lot of guys going for that, that, uh, timing in the season. Of course, like I said before, you've got guys, you know, running stuff out with the planter too and, and side dress, um, you know, those types of applications. But again, uh, you know, wanting to use some kind of product, that's going to protect and extend that release out into the later on in the season is going to be preferable. What do you see with micronutrients in cotton? A lot of cotton gets grown in some pretty tough environments, really. I mean, a lot of heat and a lot of stress. And I know micros can make a big difference for crops in those areas. How about with cotton? Yeah, I mean, cotton uh, favors zinc and boron. Uh, boron, especially for bowl retention, uh, just like you would see soybeans holding on to pods better uh cotton's going to hold on to that bowl load uh much better if if there's adequate boron um there's there's actually publications that say that cotton only holds on to about 15 percent of the flowers that it produces actually end up going to bowl production so i mean or it can be in in certain situations so if you're if you're increasing the amount of bowls that are being retained by even one or two percent that can be an, uh, a tremendous increase in yield coming into the season. So. Yeah, it sure can. And a lot of times the micros don't cost all that much. I mean, on a per acre basis, and we're not using super huge rates or anything like that. So I know like Reed had made a comment there a little earlier, a lot of guys are talking about fertility prices right now. And it seems like whenever we make cuts on fertility, micronutrients are often one of those things that the people don't value as high as NP and K, but I'd sure rather have enough micros out there than a few pounds of NP and K. Uh, well, I think it's and, well worth the money. And it, it makes the NP and K work that much better too. So yeah, you're exactly right. It, it, everything is needed in a, in a good balance and taking a look at that soil test is going to get you the answers that you need there. Well, Brandon and I, we're not fortunate enough to grow up in a cotton-producing area, but we have been fortunate enough to have some great contacts around the country. Reed Abbott with AgriLiquid down in Texas is certainly one of them. Reed, thanks for the information. Really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks a lot. Let's head uh, over to uh, Florida Georgia Line maybe here with John Altum with Valent. John, how you doing? I'm doing great. Sunny and 79. Oh, sure. Just rub that in. Just rub. We got a chance of snow here by the end of the week. <laughs> I figured you were a little north of me. <laughs> Maybe next time we'll have to do this call in person. Then then uh, we could be enjoying that sunny weather, too. That's exactly right. We can make that work. All right. Well, talk to us a little about cotton production. I know there there are some challenges, and one of them is certainly weed control, but, but there are others. What are some of the things that you work on in cotton production here with Valent? Well, we got several products that are very important to the production in the southeast. And uh, certainly 
one of those is a herbicide uh, because we're having to you know we're having to deal with this palmer amaranth uh obviously you're familiar with pig weeds even in the north and the in the form of water hemp and these rascals get resistant you know to to basically every herbicide we throw at them so uh, the, the, the product of choice for us is, is our Valor herbicide, and uh, in cotton, we're actually utilizing that a, as a spring burn down. So, you know, anywhere from seven to, to maybe seven days to maybe 28 days ahead of planting cotton. Okay. And uh, that, that gives us some residual uh, herbicide there to try to keep these palmer amaranth from emerging and then becoming a problem uh you know in 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 the crop so we're go ahead oh i was i was just gonna joke uh, uh, people that uh friends and and uh, others that i know kind of tease me they're like oh man you host that pigweed show don't you I'm like yeah we know <laughs> we're, right. we're talking about pigweed all the time here but we also talk about a lot of cool stuff i know with valent you've got some cool things like like uh, Michael apply endoprime and and others looking at just trying to raise better crops have you done any work with endoprime on cotton we have we have so originally we had the dry product and uh and and uh, so we got to start doing some some big grower demos and when i say big grower demos we were we were splitting fields and uh so we were doing usually 40 to 60 acres uh you know treated versus maybe 40 to 60 untreated and uh you know i guess kind of unfortunately we started that work in 2017, and we had, I, I don't even remember how many demos in cotton we had, maybe 24, and uh, we, had a, we, we had a great cotton crop, and we had a hurricane come up through the Gulf and cut across the Florida Panhandle and all the way across Georgia and out South Carolina, and we lost every single trial. Oh man! So, so we back up and punt, and we repeat it in 2018, and we got five demos ahead of that hurricane year, and uh, and so, but but we had really good yields uh, from that. We we basically increased the the, the lint yield uh, 100 pounds. Uh, so then we. We thought, well, we got to do this again in 2019. So we, we, we went another year at it. And again, we wound up with basically 100 pounds of lint per acre uh, over, over the area that was untreated. So uh, it, it took us three years to get enough data to, to really quantify that. But, uh, but, but now with a two ounces um, per acre of this Mycoply Endoprime in furrow, so it's got to be at planting in the in furrow tank, uh, we're providing about a hundred pounds uh, to the acre more. Wow! You so know the we're all about the all the investment is there. Yeah, we're all about the return on investment on this show. That that sounds like something definitely compelling uh, to give a try in cotton this year. Talking with John Altum with Valent. John, thanks so much for being on. Really appreciate it. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. 
Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Nothing waits for a farmer. Not the weather, the banker, the crops. It's never at a farmer's convenience. So when it comes to crop protection savings programs, how come they get to ask you to wait for a rebate? Don't wait for rebates. Get the True Choice offer from Corteva AgriScience for instant upfront savings on crop protection products. Ask your local Pioneer sales representative or your crop protection retailer about the True Choice offer from Corteva. But don't wait. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5EC is a selective, contact herbicide for post-emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide-resistant strains. Tough 5EC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPBD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5EC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit FelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Talking about cotton production on today's Ag PhD radio show and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, get a friend, Matt Miles from Arkansas, with us right now. Matt, uh, I'll try and keep this short because we could talk all day. What is the secret to getting better cotton production? Is it all about getting a great stand to begin with, or is it about the in-season management? Uh, it's a little bit of both, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I, I was kind of listening to, you know, the show and, and we kind of, we kind of mimic on the fertility program. We kind of mimic our corn. Rob, my agronomist will basically fertilize cotton and corn on the P and K and, and micronutrient part, you know, basically the same. And then of course the nitrogen is going to be different, but, uh, you know, a, a bag of cotton seed with technology and all is going to run about 700, $750 a bag. Uh, you know, with all the technology in there with it. So you that's the most important thing you can do uh, is, is to make sure that you get your spacing right and, and your, you know, and your, your depth right to get that stand the first time. Of course, there's replant, you know, options with the, with the different companies. But, 
you know, that, that's, that's one thing uh, in our area, you know, promoting earliness. Uh, it, it's kind of, like I said, it, we mimic, we mimic corn production and cotton production kind of with the same techniques. Okay, one thing that, just like with soybeans, and you guys are masters at soybean production, about keeping on more pods, I mean, twice as many pods as the average guy at least. How do you do it in cotton? Can you do the same thing? Can you keep more bowls on? Well, you know, cotton only will hold so much. If it helped everything, you know, and soybeans are the same way. But just nutrient management, uh, we're having a lot of luck out of uh, different biologicals that we're starting to try to, you know, through extreme ag, we're, we're experimenting with a lot of uh, different biologicals in furrow and then fertility programs, whether it's agri-liquids, you know, or, or nature's or, or concept ag, whatever, whatever one we're testing there, you know, staying with it. So you can put that in down there and go pick the cotton and, uh, and, and you might see a little bump, but if you stay with that foliar fertility program along with a really good base, uh, you know, underneath the plant, uh, we've been able to retain more bowls that way. Not so much, you know, of course, boron's pretty big for sticking fruit on cotton, but not so much even keeping more bowls, which we're doing some, but but having five-lock bowls instead of four-lock bowls, you know, which gives you 20% more out of that bowl, kind of like having a, a four-bean pod rather than a two-bean pod. It's the same principle. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Okay, one last question for you then. Next year. Cotton's got a pretty decent price too, but you know what? Corn and soybeans are pretty profitable right now as well. Which which crop are you going to put more acres in, or are you kind of stand with the normal rotation? You know, we try to kind of stay with a normal rotation. We've got about a twenty percent increase that we'll chase prices with, and we are actually uh, increasing our cotton acres somewhat. But you know, there's a point. It's not like a combine, so you know, a picker, a new picker's eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So you and it'll pick about fifteen hundred to two thousand acres, depending on what area you're in. So for you to add more acres, you're looking at a, you know, just a little less than a million dollar investment, and then you got to add that many acres to ROI that picker. So it kind of restricts you to what you do because of the harvest. Yeah, it's not as easy as it sounds, man. You start throwing out some of those numbers. I know we get a lot of feedback from our listeners when they hear numbers like that. $750 a bag for seed, $850,000 for a picker. It's not easy being a farmer right now. Matt, we're really appreciative of, of all your advice helping everybody out. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. You bet. Brian, uh, Matt throws out some of those capital numbers, and my goodness, it's uh, it's really important that we make great decisions on the farm if we want to stay in business. Yeah, so we talked a lot about about fertility already, just that you've got to have good fertility levels out there, and keeping in mind micronutrients can be really important too. There's a fair amount of potassium that comes out of the soil with cotton, so just you know some things for you to think about. But I wanted to get back to weed control just a little bit more because... This is really big, and we see the average cotton producer investing a lot more in weed control than the average corn or soybean or wheat farmer. It's hard to get great crop canopy in some cases, and you have to have fantastic weed control. And let's also look at the areas where cotton is raised. Um, it's some There are some tough climates there, <laughs> so it gets really hot. Cotton seems to do well in sandier soils, so it, it's not uh, it, it's not the easiest crop to be raising. But anyway, I, I, I just have found it interesting that for a lot of farmers, they'll talk about, okay, I'm going to do pre-emerge in my cotton. I'm going to do one shot of post. I'm going to do a second shot of post. I'm going to do a lay-by. I'm, 
And, I, and by the way, I'm going to throw in like three or four modes of action every single time I do this. There's so much weed resistance that we fight in the southern United States where a lot of the cotton is produced that it is important to do multiple passes and to use many different herbicides. I can't say that it's all that much different than the direction we're going with soybeans anymore, it feels like. And we do have some of the exact same options that we would in soybeans, or in some cases even in corn. So, for example, there there is Liberty Link cotton. There is Extend cotton. There's Enlist cotton. So you're basically talking about the same stuff. Well, what's the number one question that we've gotten from farmers in terms of herbicides here in the last few months, it's how can I skip using the Liberty or Roundup because they're triple the price of last year? Well, if you want to skip the Roundup and Liberty, you might have a tough time in cotton because they go into just about every program. And so you might end up just saying, you know what, I just have to spend a little bit more money. But the good news is there is a lot of Enlist and uh, an awful lot of Extend cotton well, with Enlist, that barely went up, and that's, uh, and again, Enlist is the new 2,4-D that has almost no volatility. And Extend to Max and Ingenia, these new dicambas, they basically are flat in price, if not even down a little bit from last year. So there is some good news there. Also, we have some of these residual products that are similarly priced to last year. I think about Prowl and uh, Warrant that get used in cotton. So... There, there are a lot of choices. We're just going to tell you, hey, make sure that you're using multiple modes of action, spraying many different times if needed, and try to get the weeds when they're small. They're just much, much easier to control. All right, let's jump back to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, got this one in from Jack. Uh, we're talking about cotton today, but Jack says, what do you guys think about sorghum? Is that a crop that I could make some money on? And just wondering if you have a whole lot of experience growing sorghum in your area. Well, we have some experience growing sorghum in our area. There just isn't much of a market right here, and we can do better with corn or with soybeans, even when we have raised some really, really good yields. But every area is a little bit different. A lot of people that like sorghum just appreciate the fact that it can do well through hot and drier conditions compared to corn and and soybeans in some cases. So... I, 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 I don't know. You just have to see for your particular area. The The thing, too, is we were talking about this. Oh, this is a few years back now, maybe four or five years ago, where we raised spring wheat and we had one of the top yields. It would have been, well, it was over 100 bushel spring wheat. Spring wheat. And, I mean, it's a phenomenal yield. And still, we couldn't make any money at it. <laughs> it's like, oh, my goodness. Depending on your area and depending on what cash rents are, that's really what it comes down to. What are, what are land values worth? What kind of income do you have to generate? And as farmers, we always have to be looking at how do we generate the most revenue, not just this year, but in the long term, and do the right things for our soil and that kind of thing. So that's where we just said, okay, so we were raising this at our Ag PhD Field Day, and we were showing these phenomenal yields, and I go through everything and look at all the costs, and you get down to the end, if you had normal cash rent, you're like, okay, well, I made no money. Well, that was fun to raise the crop, but uh, I'd kind of like to make some money while I'm at it. So that's where we kind of come back to, you know, in our area, corn and soybeans really pay. I don't know, and Darren, did you even say where he was from? No, nope, didn't say. Yeah, so I don't know where your area is, what crops necessarily pay very well. 
climates are different. Uh, soil types are different. Some people have irrigation. We can't irrigate because we can't get water from down below. We have solid granite below us, not very far. So we, we just can't get enough water. So anyway, everybody has their their good things with their area, their challenges in their area. So you just kind of have to weigh those out. All right. Thanks for the question, Jack. Really appreciate that. Uh, Eddie sent in a comment. He said, you guys are talking about sagebrush and killing it. It doesn't take any water for sagebrush to grow. Right. But it's also growing in areas where there's not much water at all. And when you have more sagebrush, you have less grass growing around it. Uh, thanks for the comment, though, Eddie. We appreciate that. And we'll be right back after this. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? Hi, Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. A lot can happen between fall anhydrous ammonia applications and early corn growth the following spring. NSERV Nitrogen Stabilizer protects nitrogen between fall applications until critical corn growth stages, helping produce maximum yield at harvest. Fall applied applications of NSERV have been proven to increase yield by 7% on average. Nitrogen is one of your most expensive inputs each season. Protect that investment with NSERV. For more information, contact your local retailer or visit nitrogenmaximizers.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. 
And we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag, and we got a question here that came in from Chris over in eastern Iowa. So I wonder if you guys would take a look at my soil test results and give me a little guidance on how I should fertilize. I had 225 bushel corn this year on about 14 to 15 inches of rain. I'm in a corn and soybean rotation going into beans next year. I use layer litter in 2017, 2018, 2019, but it's not available this year. This is a farm that I own. It's mostly Fayette-type soils. And uh, I also attached a tile map from the tile work we did back in 2015. Hey, thanks, Chris. Really appreciate all the information. All right. This is very common, what we see here, as opposed to what we see across a lot of areas in the Midwestern United States. Um, really low K. So we're talking 2% or less on the base saturation K. That's the number one thing you need to work on building up. And then on phosphorus, it's it's not it's not bad. You know, we got 50 parts per million probably on phosphorus, so not bad. I, I mean, I'd like it a little bit higher, but it's certainly not bad. But in correlation with that, the zinc is almost non-existent in some spots. Now, I don't know if you got some zeros in here. If you actually had zero, if you didn't test it, what happened? I assume you didn't test it. But even in spots where you did test, I mean, you got as low as 0.7 parts per million. That's not going to cut it. Usually, we're talking a 10 to 1 ratio of phosphorus to zinc. So that's something that I'd be looking at. I'd also take a look at copper and manganese uh, and sulfur because they're all single digits, and like in the case of copper, less than one part per million. So it's just addressing some of the micronutrients. I, I, I find it interesting that there was layer litter that was applied onto here. That tells me that you weren't putting too much on, which is a good thing. But by the same token, you didn't put enough on to really build up that soil. Now, this well, is medium it's textures. Pulling, it's just pulling out good, pulling out good yields. You know what I mean? You're, uh, well, taking, you're taking a lot back out. Well, what, whatever. I'm just saying it's not enough to build it. You're just getting enough out there to raise the crop, basically. And we we got to do just a little bit more to build it up a little bit beyond this because especially on the K, it's really, really low. And if you start, let's say your next yield level, you're going for 250 or 270, you're going to have to have a good stock. And I'm just trying to say here... I'm not convinced you're going to have a good stock. In fact, I would say there's very little chance you're going to have a good stock because your average base saturation K percentage is 2.2, your average manganese is 3, and your average copper is 0.8. So all those numbers need to be much higher. All right. Here's the other thing I look at, Brian. So look at that tile map, and what would you guess that Chris put into that ground? If you did the tiling yourself, you probably put 500 bucks in. If you had somebody else do it, you probably put... 800 bucks, maybe a thousand bucks into that ground. Well, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not across the whole field because he only did, he only tiled roughly half the field. So are you saying on the acres? On the that acres we're just On the yeah, acres that he did. Just on that. So if I look at the whole field, he's only probably invested $300 an acre. But okay. Anyway, okay. go ahead. He's got, let's just say he's got three to $400 an acre. In sure. It. Yeah. It's okay. going to take that kind of investment on the K, and you're going to be rocking. Oh, well, look, this is not the year to I go know. absolutely nuts in the K. Last year was, and who knows, maybe next year. Yeah, you could have done it for a so, lot less. Right, sure. a lot, 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 lot less. So I would just say, on the K, you want to be on a little bit of a build program right now. You don't have to go nuts. All right, so what if you but, did it in a band? What if you said, I'm well, going to take that ground, I'm going to strip don't, till band don't, K. Don't don't build with a band. No, so, but you can have, you can have uh, 4% base saturation K right around that seed zone. 
I mean, you could you don't can, think about it that way though. No, no, no. You put on enough in your band to fertilize the crop based on whatever your yield goal is. I'm perfectly fine with that. That's okay. But you don't want to be building with a band or shooting for oh, I'm going to go for four percent for this little area and that. Just over time, please work on on broadcasting your K. You have medium textured soil, roughly thirteen fifteen CEC, so it's going to move through the soil profile a little bit. It's not like a thirty CEC or anything where it's pretty well stuck. So it'll move a little bit. Just go broadcast it when K gets cheaper again. But in the short term, you got to put on just a little bit of a build program. Just don't get carried away because the price is just flat out too high, in my opinion. All right. Well, thanks for the question, Chris. And yeah, you know, it's ground that you own and it's close to home. You, you kind of want to do the best that you can. Hopefully that, that helps you get there. All right. Got this comment in from Matt. And bam, Brian, we talked about burning ditches and that it's not like this huge practice or whatever, but sometimes it's important. And when you've got a lot of junk in there and, and uh, overgrown stuff that you just need to get out so you can get the grass off to a good start. And Matt sent a comment and he goes, hey, that burning's releasing a lot of carbon and gases and clogs the air that we breathe. Not very environmentally healthy. Man, I would challenge you, get out into rural areas, even when somebody's burning, you won't even know if you're a mile or two away. The air is good. And yes, it uh, isn't the greatest thing for burning in this very small scale, but it's not like we're burning a forest or something like that. My goodness. Yeah, but- I think it's I, a little overreach. Well, look, of course, all of these things, it seems like, are overreaction in our entire society, in the whole planet. If one person burns a field, it's no big deal. But I I would disagree with you a little bit. I mean, a mile or two away, you usually see the smoke. And oh, I can, can see smell, it. I can see can't. it. I can smell it. No, you can't. Yes, Only can. if the wind's blowing at you. Yeah, well, here here's the thing. We had forest fires in okay. California okay. Well, listen, that look. we were smelling in South Dakota. And they were making it hazy in South Dakota this yep. year. So that that kind of stuff, I totally agree. And okay, if you're from but, that kind of area, I totally get where you're coming from, Matt. That fire, that's uh, a tough well, thing on the environment. Uh, we aren't we aren't talking about that. Well, look, uh, we're not going to argue with you any. I wouldn't argue with you anyway. We're trying to talk people out of burning anyway. We're on the same page as you are, so we are in agreement here. It's just I I'm not worried about the environment. That little bit of burning isn't going to hurt the environment. But what I am worried about is the money lost, the organic material that's lost in that field, and just the nutrients that are lost. That's, to me, the big thing. When you lose almost all your nitrogen and sulfur that's in any of the residue that burns, and you lose roughly a third of the P and the K, so now dollar-wise it doesn't make much sense. You didn't do a lot of good for... Uh, well, you you have more risk for erosion now and things like that. It's just we understand sometimes people feel like they have to burn. You know, you certainly can. It's a minor thing. So, yeah, we're, we're not talking about long burning, lots of burning, anything else. It's just occasionally used by people who feel like they need it. And then there we go. But, yeah, we as much as we can try to talk people out of it if it's a possibility. All right. Well, thanks for the for the feedback. This next one comes from LM and said, I was watching one of your videos about the chopping corn head. And I was thinking with all that material coming out the, the back end of the combine and, and getting chopped and laid on the ground below the combine, is there an opportunity to make compost from that? What do farmers do with that residue? Do they always leave it in the field or are there some other purposes? Uh, say it again. What was the very first part? 
Well, wondering about of, making compost out of out of uh, the residue left by the chopping corn. Well, you can, but you know, how, how are you going to do that? At the end of the day, we got to figure out how do we economically do things. And so composting is great when we start talking about piles of manure that come out of a barn. But when you're across a field, the the residue is going to break down naturally anyway. So there, it, there's really no point in trying to go out and compost that. So it, it's... I, I, I understand people hear compost and they say, oh, it's good. And, you know, for the most part, yes. But this is just a little different scenario. We can't economically, I mean, what are we going to do? Go pile up all this residue. Then we're going to stir it, turn it, all this stuff over time. It, get, it gets heated up. And then we're going to go spread it back out in the field. I mean, economically, you just can't justify it. All right. Well, thanks for the question. Uh, Gordon and Sue sent in a picture. They're making their 45th harvest this year. Hey, congratulations, Gordon and Sue. That's awesome. And uh, they made a comment there. Their favorite teachers were Brian and Darren. Now, you could have just said Darren, Gordon. That probably would have been better. I, I don't want Brian thought, to get too big ahead I thought it was great how they listed Brian first, but anyway. <laughs> See, Gordon, look at that. You weren't trying to be controversial. You are trying to be very complimentary, and we, we do really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And I know uh, you also sent in a story. It's a little too long for me to read on the air, but uh, I got a kick out of that one too. So really appreciate that, Gordon. Thanks for the, thanks for the positive feedback. Really appreciate it. We are in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag right now. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter. Because now, you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13 for 13 at farmshopmfg.com. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you. 
learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show. Our email address is radio at agphd.com, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, got one in. Uh, this is from Lisa, and she said, I'm wondering, what is the name of the bug spray that you guys talk about using around the foundations inside and outside of your house? Temple. So there are some other products that can be used as well, but we've liked this Tempo product. It's a pyrethroid, and if you aren't familiar with the pyrethroids, they were originally derived from the chrysanthemum flower. So think about it like sprinkling a flower in and around your house. Now, nevertheless, we want to be careful with it, so it is... Um, it, it, if and when you use it, we're always going to tell you, hey, wear personal protective equipment and stuff like that. But yes, we do spray it. Like for me, I spray it around the base of my house, outside, inside, and then in the yard as well. It works great for controlling bugs like spiders, ticks. Uh, it's okay on mosquitoes, ants, crickets, grasshoppers, things like that. Thanks for the question, Lisa. You got this one from Adam in Illinois. He said, I'm a lender in northern Illinois and was wondering about broadcasting your soils clinic January 12th and 13th to a group of my younger clients. Just want to know if you would allow that and if there are any requirements for that. Uh, no, that'd be fine. We are going to be broadcasting that anyway, so we'll have more information on our website as we get closer to the date. All right, I went from Dustin here, and he said, I'm wondering if PGRs would help my winter wheat to add oh, more... Hey. Sorry, I, uh, before, well, I said um, we'll be broadcasting that. I just cannot stress this to you enough. Please come in person to our soils clinic, and I'll tell you why. When you are at home watching something or even in a gr little group watching something, you're not going to get as much out of it as when you're there in person. Because for one thing, you can actually bring your soil tests along. We're going to have about 50 trained soils agronomists at our soils clinic uh, to answer any of your questions during any of the breaks. It's a two-day thing. It's going to be very interactive, and you'll get the chance to get your questions answered in person about anything you want to know. So I would think about it this way. Over the lifetime of your farm, you're probably going to invest hundreds of thousands. If not, like on our farm, we're going to invest tens of millions of dollars in fertility. Think about that for just a second. 
tens of millions of dollars we're going to invest in fertility. It's almost unbelievable. I, I, I can barely fathom it how much we spend on fertilizer, and we will continue to spend even more because our yields keep going up. So that's, it's all great. But I'm just saying, think about all the dollars we have at stake. So what I'm asking you to do is invest a couple of days of your time to learn more about this very important topic. Because if you can master the fertility side, if let's say with all, think about all your neighbors, think about your town that you live in and everything. If you were the most knowledgeable person on soil tests, making recommendations, and just fertility in general, do you think you would have a better chance to make more money on your farm than anyone else? I think you would. I think, in fact, it's the most important thing you need to know on the farm, more important than equipment or picking the right varieties or anything else. I think knowing how to read a soil test and make your best possible fertility recommendations is the most important thing to know on the farm. Invest a couple of days, do it in person. You will come out way ahead. Okay, sorry. All right. Thanks for the question. really appreciate that. Uh, get this one from Dustin, and he said, I'm curious if PGRs would help me add more tillers to my winter wheat. If not, what do you think would? And if you do think PGRs will help, which one would you use and when would you use it? Well, that's an interesting topic because we were just having a meeting with some of the people that work for us in terms of research. We do a lot of research at Ag PhD, and the grand total summary was this. If your plant is under stress and you're pushing it, and then you're pushing it even more and more, you could actually go backwards instead of going forwards. So let's let's put it this way. You've got to have the building blocks in place first. So it, I, I appreciate the question on the PGRs, and we use PGRs, plant growth regulators, on our farm, and we will continue to. And we're going to keep talking about them, making recommendations on them, and I'm not saying don't use them. Is it possible they can help? Yes. But what's going to help you even more, number one, tile. Number two, soil fertility. If you get those two things right, then you're just going to flat out have more crop. Now, whether, honestly, the with the tiller question, I, I, I understand and appreciate the question on tillers, but all I'm really after at the end of the day is yield. So I don't know necessarily you're going to have more tillers, but I know you're going to have more yield if you do if you have great drainage and if you have fantastic fertility. And then obviously you got to do a great job with weed, insect and disease control as well. You know, a lot of the the tillering discussion gets to be uh, there's two two main thoughts about how we fertilize wheat. One is put all the nitrogen out up front and the other is hold the nitrogen back and put it on later. And I think it's interesting because uh, I've been I've had a chance to visit the world record wheat growers farm, and and the world record barley growers farm, and they said they they look at it a little different. They're like, we want to control how many tillers we have. We want all the tillers to be out there at the same time, and that's where they're using the growth regulators is trying to to get those tillers to all be at the same growth stage instead of having tillers that keep coming on and now all of a sudden you get some tillers that are a little further along in development than others and then it's harder for them to fight fusarium head blight and, and different diseases that come up because it just spreads that window of protection that they need out quite a bit. So they're they're looking at kind of starving that 
grain for nitrogen to some degree up front. And to the point that the world record barley grower had, had made the comment to, to me and our research lead, Glenn, he said, guys, I don't even mind if it turns just a little bit yellow. I want to get to this certain growth stage. Then I'm going to pour the coals to it with the nitrogen. And a lot of growers in North America have been putting on quite a bit of nitrogen up front. And for some of them, it's, well, we're really dry. And if I don't get the nitrogen on up front, yep. I don't know that I'm going to be able to get it in the crop and make use of it. So it, it kind of depends on what you've got. If you've got irrigation, if you're in an area that gets a little bit more rainfall, uh, or or the rains come seasonally and you can kind of time it out for those rainy times, you might have to do things just a little bit different. But this kind of does come back to the ratio of nitrogen to other nutrients. And it's very common when you listen to wheat producers or corn producers and it's nitrogen, nitrogen, nitrogen. And don't get me wrong, it's super important and you have to have great levels of it. But if you don't have a balance of nutrients in that plant, then it's all growth and not enough yield. And the problem when you have extensive growth is sometimes then your stock is very weak. So that's why we talk so much on the show, and we did again today, about having good levels of potassium in the plant. Not just looking at parts per million or pounds per acre, however you want to look at that side, but looking at the ratio of it to other nutrients. That's where the base saturation test is so important. That's why we talk all the time. you got to be at least 4% base saturation K. And a lot of our data has shown 6 or 7% is much better when you're going for good yields at, at least. So, yeah, it's it, it's just it's a balance of everything. And so whether we're talking PGRs or weed control or disease or, I mean, any, there's just there's got to be balance in what you do. And ultimately here, too, we talk a lot about the soil. We want the soil to do well, to be healthy, to have plenty of nutrients, to have good levels of organic matter. That's your base. That soil is so unbelievably important. And when you can do a good job with that, you get the crop off to a good start. Well, then a lot of times that crop can survive some of those stresses that come later on the year, whether it's drought or some bug shows up or disease or whatever. I'm not saying it isn't going to have a negative impact. It is. But it's going to be at least minimized because you have your good base with that soil. Yeah, there's so much that goes into it, and I know it's it's fun to focus on, okay, what about this one little factor, and, and how do I do that? But there's there's a big picture, no doubt about it. Today we're talking about cotton production, and I, I just always enjoy when we get a chance to talk about some of these other crops, to, to hear from people that are raising different crops, because a lot of times the challenges end up being the same, and, and we were talking... Um, to John Altum down in uh, southern or northern Florida, southern Georgia, and he was talking about, yeah, pigweed's a big challenge for us, and we're working on some microbial solutions to try to help us with crop growth and nutrient uptake and those types of things. And it's kind of the same types of things that we're working on in soybeans in the upper Midwest, but uh, just just a little different environment trying to get things done. Thanks for listening to our show today. Please be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.